0: What does your meditation practice look like? So it's changed over the years. Uh, When I first started doing meditation, I, I had a really hard time sitting still because I'd spent years and years abusing my body and my mind. Welcome to Becoming
1: Legendary. That was Rich Decker, who joins us on the podcast this week to talk about his legendary story. Rich is a writer, he's the host of the Hero's Journey podcast, and he's a mindful entrepreneur focused on all things meditation and consciousness. Check out Rich's podcast when you have a chance. We'll have a link in the show notes. And without further ado, let's get to becoming legendary with Rich Decker. welcome to Becoming Legendary. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to hear your questions.
1: Yeah, sit down and chat a little bit. So I like to start off with uh, what does the typical day in your life look like?
0: Well, my days vary. There's, there's certain things, though, that I do every day. And I have a morning routine that I stick to pretty religiously. Regardless of what's going on now, it might be shorter one day or longer the next, but I have a certain routine. So when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is I grab this. Now, this is called a six times book. This is comes from the Buddhist t- Tibetan tradition. I learned this from a geshe. And what I like about what, so what it is, is you, you, you get up in the morning and you write down things you're grateful for right off the bat and then you go to your karmic management they call it so there's five things it is kind of geared towards businesses but there's five things that you do uh what are you going to do today if it was your last day of your life uh what are you going to do for your colleagues or your for your friends uh what are you going to do to for your business you know how are you going to help your customers uh three is how are you going to Thank or appreciate, or how you're going to help your affiliates or people, companies you use. That could be anything. Like, like so, how are you going to? Well, if you go to Circle K today, how are you going to handle that and be grateful mm-hmm. for Circle K? And then four is, uh, what would you do today to support the world? So I usually put stuff like recycle. I'm going to make sure I recycle everything. And then so then you go through and you go through six times of the day. There's certain tenets. Or there's 10 virtues like respecting life generosity kind words speaking the truth so you go through and it's six times during the day you go in and you check that and see how you're doing um, mm. it's a bit of a challenge some days cuz mm. you know my schedules all over the place and I'm yeah. often on the move but i i find it very helpful cuz it just keeps me on track if you it, there's that saying if if you you can't manage something if you're not tracking it. So he's kind of like managing by tracking yourself. And at the end of the day, you write in how much yoga you did, meditation, how much time you spent TV, news, phone, computer, and then the three best things you did today and the three worst things you did today. So I pretty much do this book religiously every day. And then I do some breathing stuff in the morning. I have a, a either pranayama or something like that. I do some breathing exercises. And then I do meditation every day. Now the the different things I do and now, oh I also try to do some type of movement. Okay. If it's not yoga that day, I try to go to the gym. I try to work in both. I've I've really I've always liked lifting weights, heavy weights, doing power lifting type of stuff. And I still do, even though I, I just hit the big five oh hmm. I still enjoy lifting weights. Yeah. So I what I found that works well with that is the yin yoga. So I like the yin yoga because yeah. it's the deep stretches. And so I always try to get some type of movement every day. But the one thing I do every day without fail, whether it's one minute or one hour, is I do meditation every day. Yeah. And for the all the, the things that I've done over the last few years, that's by far been the the most beneficial in my life is, is the meditation, just slowing down the mind and, and, and just – not getting detached from my thoughts and and just becoming a calmer person, but you know my day's very i i i I've got a few things that I got going on, so I'm always driving somewhere <laughs> somewhere I'm driving somewhere, but that's pretty much a, a pretty typical day. What does your meditation practice look like so it's changed over the years uh when I first started doing meditation, I had a really hard time sitting still because I had spent years and years abusing my body and my mind uh, with uh, intoxicants and bad thoughts and our unhelpful thoughts. Let's not say bad thoughts, but my thinking wasn't very helpful for me or anyone that was around me. So meditation for me was, was pretty tough. It was very difficult. So I first started doing sound stuff. I got into the binaural beats. I was introduced to the Robert Monroe and the hemi So I started doing that, but it's changed over the years. It's, I've gone into different things. After the hemi I got into Centering Prayer, which is kind of a Christian meditation. Okay, uh, uh, It's basically you pick a word that has meaning to you and when your thoughts – get stuck in one certain area or you find yourself drifting, you just go back to that word. And it's kind of, you know, where you let everywhere, whatever your higher power is, you let that be the control. And I was doing that for a while. But uh, then, you know, some breath meditation. But I I did a Vipassana 10-day course back in December. So since that time, I've been doing Vipassana every day. Okay. So 10
1: days of silence. Yes. That experience, um, for, for a lot of people sounds terrifying. What was, what was that experience like for you?
0: Uh, the, the 10 days of not talking was the best part Mm -hmm. for me. The hard part of that 10 day course, I know a lot of people have done it and some people are scared of it. I was scared of it too. The hard part for me was the pain dealing with the pain. So I was determined to sit You know, sit uh, cross-legged, your traditional meditation style, without any backing. That was my goal, uh, to do that for 10 days. But when you do it for 10 minutes or 20 minutes, that's one thing. When you're doing it for 10 hours a day, uh, your body doesn't agree with you, doesn't necessarily want to go along with that plan very well. And everybody Everybody experiences pain. Even guys that are like, there were guys there were yoga instructors and all this. They, everybody, the pain is part of the process. But the thing for me is that the pain didn't end until day nine. Mm. <laughs> so every day I was dealing with this pain in my hip and my back. And that was the most challenging part. But what was interesting about that is the Vipassana is it's taught over the course of the 10 days so on day nine, the morning of day nine, they give the last little piece of the Vipassana meditation. And when Goinka, who does all the talking uh, for the for the meditations, when I started doing what he said to do, I watched the pain disappear. Mm-hmm. It just went away. It just dissipated. It yeah. was it was amazing. Yeah. So I got to experience it firsthand how the meditation works. So that was cool. If I were going to do it again, which I plan on doing again, probably next summer, I would certainly number one bring a foam roller, because <laughs> mm. again, you know, it, just to get the because you're not supposed to do yoga or anything like that, but you have to do some stretching. But I tell you, I I forgot my my foam roller to bring it. I had it on my list, but I forgot to bring it. In those 10 days, I must have thought about that foam roller 10,000 times. <laughs> if I only have my foam roller, oh, if my foam roller, even, my foam roller. Even ro- better.
1: I can save you. This is all you need right here. Lacrosse ball. Yeah. Better than a foam roller. Smaller. Really? Travels with you everywhere. Can get deeper.
0: Yeah, on your back and everything, huh? You just have to know how to learn how Spot. to use it.
1: Go with go, uh, uh, everywhere I go. Every, in my car everywhere I go. Really?
0: Okay. A racquetball? Lacrosse R- ball. Oh. Lacrosse ball. All right. That's on my list. So just bring it you have it one with you everywhere, huh? I yeah. But
1: just we use them all the time. The studio, there's always one in my car. If I ever feel anything happening, I just reach over from the cup holder, throw that in, and by the time I really? get wherever I'm going, life is
0: good. Okay. Well, that would have been very easy to have. Yeah. So fits in fits I, anywhere. Right. I, I, I it's on my list because, again, I, I thought about the phone. You know, again, it shows you how obsessive our thoughts are. I thought about that foam roll for more than a <laughs> <my tendons> <laughs> at least until the pain went away. But it was interesting, you know, w- for me, when you don't have that outside stimulus and there's no talking, you're not even supposed to gesture to each other. And, you know, I had a roommate, we're sleeping four feet apart from each other, but we don't even, we don't even look at each other. And we both followed that rule. I, I don't know if everybody follows it, but we, we followed the rule. I noticed my thoughts slowed down and I could watch a thought from its beginning to its end. But the interesting thing about that is most of them weren't very good. Mm. They were very judgmental. Mm. So I was with these people I've never met. I've never even exchanged a word, hello, nothing, but I was constantly judging them, constantly, especially at mealtime because you can't talk, nothing, you just sit there and eat. Um that's the most uh, that's your most entertainment for the day is eating or yeah. taking a nap, but I was sitting there judging everybody. So it was a very eye-opening experience for me and it told me I've got a long way to go.
1: Did you get what you wanted out of the
0: experience? I tried to go in without any intentions. So what I got from it is that I have to work on the judgmental. It's it's pretty pretty heavy duty for me. And I, most of the time, I think many of us are that way. But we're, we're the the cloud of thoughts is always so present, you know, it's so thick, the constant thoughts. Yeah. And it's not that my thoughts went away, but they slowed down. I could watch them. I could watch my thoughts because that's really all you can do right? for, for all day. You, you get up, you meditate, you eat, uh, you rest for a minute, then you go meditate and you take a break and then you meditate and then you have lunch and then you meditate <laughs> <laughs> and then you take a break and you meditate. Mm. And you have dinner. Well, you don't actually have dinner. It's – call it tea time. Uh, if you're a new new student, you can have some fruit. But then you go meditate and then you listen to Goika talk for an hour, hour and a half. And then you meditate. And that's your day. So that's all you have is your thoughts. Yeah. So it becomes pretty clear on, on what uh, what's going on in there. The meditation is a pretty important thing to you. How do uh, it-
1: very. How do you how do you rank your your meditative practice compared to everything
0: else in your life? It's the one constant. So, you know, I, there's a quote by I, I believe it was uh, Gurdjieff or Gurdjieff, however you want to pronounce it, but he says sometimes you need to find something you need to find something new to re-ring your bell, you know, to get you back interested again. But meditation's always I've, I've tried different things, I uh, different different practices, tried different things, but the meditation has always been there for me over the, at least over the last five years. Yeah. Uh, it's always been the one constant and it's what keeps me grounded uh, as best I can. And it keeps this thing from, uh, causing me more problems than it already does.
1: I, I have this, uh, I have this interesting idea that comes in and out of my life, which is that novelty is the enemy of depth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think it's, it's really easy for us to find the next new shiny thing, right? So meditation for a lot of people, when, when they, and they start to experience meditation, it's fun for three days. It's fun for seven days. It's fun for 15 days. Uh, it's generally not that fun after 40 days because they've built a wall of expectations around what the practice is going to be. And um, i think I think that if we can remove the concept of of our, what we know the experience is going to be and just sit down and approach each breath as if it's a brand new breath because it is uh each experience can be ultimately insightful how did you how did you, how did you overcome that the thing that that most people fall away from the practice of? the redundancy just doesn't work anymore cuz it's not new and shiny anymore how how did it become ingrained in your life
0: well it, it you know 90% of our lives are our habits uh we what is it? william james said uh, when it all comes down I'm, I'm paraphrasing but when you break a person down to the basics they're we're almost all habits so it's just become a very ingrained habit for yeah. me but i have i have experimented where i didn't do it for a, a short time and I noticed that the changes within myself. Mm. So how I keep that redundancy up is I know that if I don't do it problems will ensue. Yeah. Uh, the the old rich will make an appearance in yeah. some form or another it won't be the same as the old rich but he'll come back <laughs> and he'll cause problems.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> the The number of days that it takes to to develop a habit is supposed to be right around forty. So, for for those of you out there, if you can get to that forty mark, uh, then then you have a really a really great way to do that. To do the practice of taking a break and seeing how how you've changed. Um, don't take a break for meditation. It's not worth it.
0: No, not an <laughs> extended break. Not an extended one. <laughs> You know, even if it's just five minutes a day, just, just, just do something, just sit still and watch your thoughts and disconnect from them Yeah, and and just learn that, you know, that saying I'm not my thoughts. When I first heard that, it sounded really silly to me, Mm. but because I was my thoughts, (laughs) Mm. but what you realize is that you're not your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, they're there, they're a part of you. It's coming from your, you know, the synapses firing in your brain, but it's just a, it's like a, something that the brain does. It just creates thoughts. Yeah. But that, but that's not necessarily. you.
1: Yeah. Who, who we are is a pretty interesting question. Um, sure. Right. If we're not, if we're not our brain, if we're not our thoughts, then we're not our brain. And if we're not our brain, who, who are we? Uh, it becomes, it becomes, I think a scary concept for people. Right. And, um, the, the logistical approach to life that we've become really fascinated with, the scientific uh, measurable component to life that we've become really fascinated with provides an awful lot of insight, but it also builds barriers between um, new concepts and ideas. Because if everything must be measurable, then uh, we... we we miss out on perceiving things that are beyond our our current capacity to measure.
0: Sure. So the curiosity, the you know, for some some of these things, uh, science is caught up to. I guess a lot of things in Buddhism that it's uh, been taught for a couple thousand years. Science is kind of caught up to that, and I think the the, the they the Buddhists gain that insight from just being still and quiet and. and they've gained that but yeah i think I, I you know i'm a big i'm a big fan of science i always like to have things backed by science but it you know it does take a bit of a you know einstein said imagination is more important than knowledge so if it's just all science you kind of lose the imagination a little bit
1: yeah i i <clears throat> i was uh, a a staunch requirer of science um until I started experiencing things that couldn't be proved with science. And then uh, I, I I was able to shift my perspective a little bit. So meditation does some interesting things for you.
0: Can you give me an example of something that couldn't be explained by science?
1: <sighs> yeah. Um. So these malas that I have on right here, if you hold them over... A positive pranic food they spin clockwise. If you hold them over a negative pranic food, they alternate side to side they don't spin and if you hold them over a negative pranic food, they spin counterclockwise. I, I would love I, I would love to say that they don't do that, but um, they do do that so they resonate with some pranic energy and food. I I can't explain it, but I can I can demonstrate it.
0: So do you think that there's a science that could could prove that or could explain it?
1: I so that that there there may eventually be, be some way, but I don't think we I don't think we have the capacity to do it now. Yeah. Um, or
0: or perhaps you know, like the example uh that I've heard recently is, you know, we wouldn't expect chimpanzees to understand quantum physics, perhaps some of these things we're not able to understand yet. Yeah. We might evolve in the future if we're still around, which I believe we will be to be able to see that, but perhaps we just can't, we're unable to at this point. Yeah. So,
1: um, there, there are, there are just things out there. Um, there are just things out there in the world that I've, that I've been exposed to recently that don't have, uh, there, there's nothing that you, there's nothing that someone could show me that would tell me that they they don't happen. Um, and there's nothing that someone could show me that says that they do happen,
0: but they do happen.
1: It's an interesting, it's an interesting give shift you,
0: for me. Can I give you an example of something that I experienced that I still have no explanation for? Please. Okay. So, I don't know if you remember a few years ago uh, when the book came out, Proof of Heaven by Eben Alexander. It I don't, the, but... It was a very popular book. Okay. Uh, he was a neuroscientist or a neurosurgeon. He had this near-death experience. This bacteria took over his brain. And, you know, he said that there's no way that my brain, you know, I could remember. there could be anything going on that the infection was so severe. Now, since then... <clears throat> It's been pointed out that a couple of things in the book weren't true, not necessarily that his experiences wasn't true, but there was a certain things like he talked about this uh, going parachuting with some guy, some training guy, and that guy doesn't exist. And then he talked about before he went into his coma, he said, God, help me. Well, the woman, the doctor who was treating him, who was a woman, said, well, that's not possible because there was a tube in his mouth. So, <laughs> okay. right. So. And he says, "Well, you know, the editor's embellished, but you can't make a book called "Proof of Heaven," and you can't have anything in it that isn't 100 percent accurate, yeah. or true, yeah. as far as I'm concerned." Well, yeah. anyway, he was doing a book signing a few years ago, and that book had a big impact be- impact on me. And there was a gentleman to the left of me, him and his wife, and he had this big growth on his neck. It was a tumor. So we were talking, but there was these two women in in, in front of me and they turned around and started talking to us. And what I come to find is that they were psychics, spiritual healers, what they called themselves. And so at the time, then I said, well, why not try it? So I went to a session with them and they do this thing where one of you sit on a table, and one of them gets beneath you and the other is like walking around you with their hands, you know, the typical thing you see. And they said the spiritual, the psychic, or the spiritual uh, surgeons were going to come and work on you and heal you and all this stuff. But I, I, did, did anything happen from that? I don't know. But what was interesting is that that these women knew stuff about me that was so specific. I don't know how they could have known that. Mm. I mean they were telling stuff about me, not just general stuff. You know you go to the carnival psychics or the 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 signs you see everywhere and they, you know, it's jobs, uh love or money, you know, typical stuff. But these women knew very specific things about me that I do not know how they know because they yeah. didn't know me. Yeah. So that's something to this day I still don't have an explanation.
1: Yeah. I I love those things. I think those things are uh, fun and I think if we if we build uh, a barrier between the unknown and what's provable, we miss we miss the capacity to perceive a lot a lot that might be out there.
0: Yeah, have you heard of the gentleman by the name of Donald Hoffman, who's no. a cognitive scientist out of University of California? Okay. Irvine. I was exposed to him recently and he's he's a scientist. He's a hundred percent pure scientist, but he is taking a different approach. He's kind of trying to combine science and the religion together. But his theory is, you know, we try to understand how does consciousness come from physical, from matter? He says, I think we're asking the wrong questions. How does matter come from consciousness? Whereas consciousness is the foundation, not matter. Mm. which is very Buddhist. But Mm -hmm. what's interesting about what he's doing is he's trying to prove it mathematically, trying to apply scientific methods to prove that consciousness is the foundation or a science of consciousness. So I love that. That's fascinating. to me. That is fascinating. If you ever get a chance, check it out. I will check that out for sure. It is nature of reality is very interesting that basically the things we interact with is not even close to what they really are. It's like an icon on a desktop on your laptop yeah it's a representation but it's nothing even close to what that actually is yeah okay pretty cool yeah pretty cool
1: what what things excite you what What are the things you get excited about
0: i i have a i don't know if you've ever been exposed to the enneagram have you ever studied the enneagram so again another thing uh for you and the listeners or watchers i guess they watch this show yeah uh, to check out, the Enneagram's an ancient personality uh, test, I guess. Uh, it basically says that everyone falls into nine separate categories of personality. And it's a very old system, been around a long time, different cultures, different ages. And it proves to be accurate. Well, in the Enneagram, it says, I'm a type five. Type is the investigator. So type fives love information. They love knowledge. So I love information. I love learning new things. That's, that's my thing. Mm. But our our downfall as a type five is that we like to think about stuff and learn stuff, but we don't, we're not real good at action. So I've been working on that, but what excites me, I I love learning new things. I love learning, trying to understand more about what's going on in here. Uh, You know, I don't, it's almost all a mystery, but I just want to keep trying to uncover it, kind of figure out a little more like, who am I? Who, 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 who am I? You know, I have no answer for that. So (laughs) I mean, I could say, well, you know, I, my name and all this stuff, but that's all this stuff that was given to me or made up or even our own language determines a great deal on how we think. Yeah. So who am I? Who am I behind all that? I have no idea. That's what excites me. Okay. (laughs) That's my, that's my religion. If somebody asks, which religion are you? uh, Who am I? That's my religion. I don't know. I don't know. And who am I? (laughs) That's my religion.
1: That's a really, that's a really good place to start. I mean, that's a question that I think a lot of people are scared to ask um, for a lot of reasons. But I I think it's an, it's an important question that we should all be asking ourselves on a, on a daily basis. Absolutely. Who did the 16-year-old Rich uh,
0: see you becoming today? (laughs) So I was like you. We had very similar backgrounds. I was a big football sports nut guy. And at 16, I had almost no concept of future. Yeah. I I was just living for the moment, the next football game, the next hit, the next activity, the next girl I'm going to meet. I had almost no concept uh, of the future, almost none. Uh, I kind of just winged it for the most of the time. Uh, you know, I always, when I was a real kid, a young kid, I was really into to kiss. Okay. <laughs> so, so I wanted to be Ace Fraley, which sounds silly. I don't even play an instrument, <laughs> but, uh, I wanted to be, you know, a rock star or something, but you know, when I was 16, I had almost no idea of what I wanted to do. I just lived by the seat of my pants. I was in high school. Uh, I was going to go to A technical school to learn how to fix computers, but I got a a, a small college in Colorado, which you may know of, Adams State College. Okay, yeah, recruited me. Yeah, and said, "Hey, oh, I can keep playing football." All right, well, I'll go there. Cool. (laughs) And then I was there a year, and I got the hell beat out of me. I got a pretty bad concussion, and I said, "Well, I don't think this is going to work anymore. This is not." (laughs) This is not, I'm not going to be a professional football player. Yeah. Uh, This, you know, I I had a knee injury. I got that concussion. I said, "Ah, this is enough. So I I wandered around. What am I going to do? Oh, I have friends that go to Colorado State University. So I transferred to Colorado State University and I had a great time. Uh, I had an interest in psychology. Again, it, it came back to trying to understand who I was, even from a young age. But I just drifted into that because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I, I, I've been a drifter for a long time. It's only been recently that I've gotten a solid interest in something and had a, a pursuit kind of where the blinders are on and keep moving forward. But honestly, the, the 16-year-old Rich was a drifter, okay. as, as, as Napoleon Hill describes it in <laughs> uh, his books. <laughs> Who? Who had, the
1: greatest, who had the greatest influence or impact on you? Is there a mentor or someone along the way that brought you from 16-year-old drifter to now?
0: Uh, at that time, I had a, our football coach in college who was named John Burke. He actually lives here in Arizona somewhere, or he did. I don't know. He would have – I would say as a young person, he had the biggest influence on me because uh, Coach Burke was like a, was like a Marine drill sergeant. You know, all coaches are are can be tough, but this Coach Burke was really tough. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we we I was in the best physical condition I've ever been in. And and he he was he was very, very difficult, very challenging. It taught me discipline. Wow. And it taught me that there's more that I can do than I think I can, that my body can do more. I'm capable of. And really more than anything, you just established discipline in my life. I got some self-discipline from that. So I would have to say, as I look back now, as I'm, I'm as I'm getting older, uh, he clearly uh, was a big influence on I me. Mean, you know, my 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 mother was a stay-at-home mom, and my dad worked a lot. He worked all the time. He worked 60, 70 hours a week. And when he was home, I was I didn't want him to be, <laughs> or I didn't want to be there. My father and I didn't get along very well. So I'd have to say probably my high school football coach.
1: Okay. Was there, any, was there any lesson or was it, hey, you're strong enough to get through this?
0: So he would always say – and my father used to say this actually, but I, I remember John Burke saying it more. He used to say, if you're going to do something, do it right or don't do it at all. So that's what I carry with me today. Okay. Now that has some negative connotations too, right? Because sometimes there's things I can't do right because I don't know how to do it. Yeah. So in my journey now, I – there's something every day I have to learn new, mm. and uh, so I can't always do everything right. Or there's mistakes, so I can beat myself up if I'm not mm. doing something quote unquote right. But I still think that that's a good base to start with. If you're if I'm gonna approach something, I'm gonna do something, approach it with doing it right, or don't do it at all. Do you do you read a ton? Is a, a, lot, a lot, a lot. Okay. I don't read as much anymore. I listen. I love mm. Audible. Okay. I listen to books all the time. I'm uh, right now. I'm listening to Mastery by Robert Greene. Do you ever get into fictional books? Not much, but I need to start because if you want to be a good writer, which is part of what I do, with writing, you need to read. And I re- I tend to see, to read nonfiction books a lot, but I do need to read more. Fiction books get it, get that imagination stirring.
1: Do you have, do you have a top, a top book that you've read? Any, anything that you've read that has really impacted you?
0: Uh, Could it, nonfiction or fiction? Either one. Uh, nonfiction would be The Magic of Thinking Big. Okay. By Dr. David Schwartz. Yep. It was written in 1956. So the language is a bit dated mm-hmm. and some of the ideas are a bit dated but that book had a huge impact on huge impact on me. I actually heard, heard about it from reading Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. He talks about it as his favorite book that he carries around with him all like your racquetball yeah. or your lacrosse ball. He yeah. carries that book around with him yeah. all the time because you have to go back and, and and refresh it. But it's something that's so simple, right? You're reading it and you're going, you're thinking, why haven't I been doing this? Mm. But It's just a way of changing how you think about things, how you think about yourself and how you think about it. As far as a a fiction book, it still is going to be The Stand from Stephen King. Mm. When I read that book in high school, man, that blew me away. That was a nonstop book. That book's like 800 pages. Yeah, it's a giant book. Yeah, I couldn't stop reading it. Who would be the most
1: boring fictional character that you could ever meet in real life?
0: (laughs) That's a question. (laughs) the most boring fictional I think character. it's an
1: interesting question because some like it's a fictional character so someone had to create them but still they're not all that interesting I'm t- I'm trying to think of somebody from the from the Harry Potter from the Harry Potter world oh. that, would, that would bore me and I'm sure there's someone in there.
0: oh my goodness that is a hard question to ask <laughs> to answer that's a great question That's think a great about it. Question.
1: add that one to your list.
0: Yeah. We'll have to come back to that one.
1: So let, so, let my
0: subconscious work on it. Yeah. That's perfect.
1: That's perfect. You're, you're
0: 50. Uh, unfortunately, yes. Know, unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately, all. unfortunately, well, you know, turning 50 for a man is a, is a, in our culture is kind of this big thing. I'm glad I made it to 50, but, uh, it's still weird to think that I'm 50. I, it, I, I don't think 50, whatever that is.
1: Yeah. You don't look 50. Well, thank you. What's the, what's, What are the best and worst purchases you've made in 50 years?
0: Oh, the worst purchase, the best purchases. And boy, these are so good questions. They're such good questions. I would say the best purchases I've made are the books Hmm. I've bought over the years. And like I said, now I do Audible. Uh, I get more from the books I listen to and and have read. Those have been my best purchases. The worst purchase would probably have been a Dodge Aries K I bought when I was 18. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: I feel like those young car purchases are pretty easy to be the worst purchase that you make. You learn a lot with those.
0: Well, you know, at that time, uh, the U.S. car industry wasn't exactly putting out good cars. Yeah. And so I was constantly at the repair shop with that car. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a good way to learn a lesson. <laughs> I think they make better cars now, but I always drive a Toyota. I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, be safe.
1: Uh, <laughs> in our world today, in our in our non Harry Potter world, our Muggle world, if you will, what's the closest thing
0: to real magic? Well, I, I'm fascinated by this idea that uh, uh, of Donald Hoffman's that, and, and not just his, but the idea that we're that this what we call reality, there's a good possibility that is not real, not that it, or in other words, we're living we're actually living in the matrix mm. in some way, some form. And the idea that that, you know, I want, I want I'd like you to prove to me that we're not in some holographic game from year 2626. Well, you can't mm. you couldn't come up with stuff that says we're not. But the idea What's magic to me is from where we were say 5000 years ago or even 5 years ago to where we are now that's that's magic mm. right what's what's magic about it is what's possible so all the things we have now this device we're speaking through this this wireless thing that's happening now we could have had that 500 years ago but mm-hmm. we didn't mm-hmm. why because we didn't think that way, mm-hmm. we didn't think it. We didn't think that way. So that's what's magic to me is mm. we can create things from our thoughts and from telling stories. And then if you believe some of the reality uh, nature of reality, people like Donald Hoffman, we create this. We create it.
1: We literally create it.
0: Right. So, it, as an example, so let's say when humans weren't around or our ancient ancestors millions of years ago went around it wasn't that there wasn't a world it was just very different than Mm. what it is now because whatever creatures or whatever beings were perceiving it then perceived it differently Mm. that's what's magic to me so what is possible what is possible Mm. it seems that the uh, possibilities are unlimited yeah it's
1: limitless it it it's a very it's a very interesting thing and i think that goes back to the concept of <clears throat> we're limited by what we know right so if if we re- if we release all the things we know our capacity to expand uh opens up
0: infinitely that's a good thing that's awesome that you said that that is so true so it's a matter of letting go right so that's why meditation's important too you let go of what you think you know and you open your up yourself to what you don't know. Yeah. Or you try to be a contemplative thinker. You take what you know, don't know, which is always much more. <laughs> yeah. And you try and just let that combine and just be, and you create whatever comes from that, and yeah. that changes.
1: And it always. Yeah. So I would I would say, uh, in general, present leadership aside, a uh, human intellect is at the highest levels of all time. Where do you think human uh, emotional intelligence stands?
0: Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting where we're headed. I, I, I think I've, I've suggested to you the book Sapiens by yeah. uh, Naval, uh, Yuval Noah Harari. Well, his follow-up book was called Homo Deus. And Homo Deus is kind of an idea of where he thinks we're headed. And in that book, he talks about data becoming the new god. That dataism, the digital world, is becoming the new god. And I, ever since reading that and and, and understanding that and, and letting that sink in, I see the evidence of it all around me. I just saw an article the other day, uh, it, you know, basically saying that the world is actually information, and we're we're put piecing it together through our perceptions. So I mean, that's that dataism, but. You know, we're still humans, right? We're still the most dom- – we're the dominant species for right now. Uh, do- humans and our domesticated animals are the dominant animals, dominant species on the planet. I know, besides the bacteria and the germs, obviously. But we still need that human part of it. There's still going to be need for that. And regardless of re- living in a virtual world or the more time we spend on these gadgets, which I'm addicted to, uh, to like everybody else – but you still need that human side to it. Mm. We're still, we're still designed through natural selection that we have to live in groups. We're social animals. We're social beings. We have to, even though we see everything as a threat all the time, we have to be together. We can't survive without each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because we're, we're designed to live in groups of 150, right? And, uh, we're asked to live in groups of, 6 million. And that's a, it's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting challenge to our, our psychological capacity. So kind of on that note, I think anxiety and and mental and emotional disorders are probably at their, at their highest level that they've ever been. What, what can we do as a, as a small collective to help change that? Uh,
0: again, I think it's just getting in Yeah, you know, I don't want to use this getting in touch with yourself, but just trying to understand yourself a little better. And through the combination of, of, of physical movement and spiritual, whatever that is for you, and then just calming your mind and getting control of your mind. I think that's the key. That's what we can contribute because I remember, uh, you know, I was a kid, right? You know, I just turned 50. So. I remember when the first Apple II came out and we actually uh you know, you went to you grew up in Castle Rock, so you know that Douglas County is a very uh, wealthy county. Mm-hmm. School system is, is pretty good. So we had Apple IIs, the first Apple IIs, and I remember all the talk like, oh, you know, the world it's coming, it's gonna be maybe not like the Jetsons, but oh, we're gonna have all this leisure time and all these things are gonna be so easy. Well, the exact opposite has happened. Yeah. Right? We're constantly <laughs> occupied with something whether it's a distraction or we're working on something something yep so the exact opposite has happened but you your brain which is uh, a million years in the making which is ten thousand years old doesn't know doesn't know and doesn't care so it's reacting to all these things all the time so you have to learn to get control of it as best you can you have to learn to counter that anxiety that you experience that's going on all the time most of the time we're unaware of
1: it. yeah yeah we're really hijacked by our, our hormones and our emotions um, and and at the same time we, we can we can shift those and, and we really do have the capacity to, to flex and and flow both of those within our within our own systems um, and it's something that we don't spend an awful lot of time tuning into. Unless you're really actively working on your movement practice, your meditative practice, your, your food intake, and quite honestly, your sleep quality.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um,
1: just yeah. just another one that it's, it's not fun, right? Those are the things that people think are not fun. Movement, most people think is a, is a punishment. Uh, meditation, most people think is boring. Sleep, most people think is boring. And food, most people think tastes terrible. Um, at least the good stuff.
0: So, it's, or it's bad for you, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't eat this. Don't eat that. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: we so we've created a lot of food like options that aren't necessarily food. Food that we are consuming that is really bad for us, right? I mean, we've we've created these things that are chemical BS that we uh, we we pretend is food and we we eat it like it's food and it has really significant ramifications on our body
0: yeah i try to i try to remember and i'm listen i'm just as guilty as else. I, I love sugar all that stuff right it all tastes good yeah but when i'm eating something i i try to remember wait a minute what i'm eating becomes me yeah literally really what do i want that to become me what yeah. i'm eating probably not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. probably not you well know, sometimes i don't listen i eat it anyway but uh yeah it's interesting you know it I think uh, for like yourself and, and Vitality and, and the other people that uh, I've met through uh, you and, and the people I've met in general over the past five years, uh, I think that's going to become ever more important as we move forward because it's hard to predict what's going to happen. Where we're at right now with this exchange of information, it'd be like going back to when the first printing press was made and saying, OK, what's going to happen? Nobody could have known. Nobody could have known. So For sure. What's, what's happening now, we have no idea where this is taking us. For sure. And and the thing we have to keep in mind, too, is whatever's going on environmentally, whatever you believe, something's happening. Yeah. Whether it's by the sun or global warming or get carbon emissions, whatever, You know we have to take that in consideration. But regardless, people are still involved and you have to get control. You have to have movement. You have to have – attention to, you know, slowing the brain down, slowing your thoughts down and getting detached from those and, and just trying to live a more calmer, peaceful life.
1: Yeah. Last two questions for you. Okay, good. Very good. I love it. This is very good. Thank you. This has been great. <laughs> yeah. If you I can
0: talk about this stuff all day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Me too. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: If you could know the absolute truth to one question, what, what would the question be that you would ask?
0: That's a pretty simple one, the one that everybody has been asking since the dawn of questions, whoever, however long that uh, ago that is. Uh, what happens when I die? Mm. Is that the end of me? And the reason I say that, as you mentioned, I turned fifty. Now you know, some oh fifty's the new forty, perhaps, and we're living longer than we ever have. But the reality is I'm closer to the end than the beginning. Statistically speaking. Yeah. And what's important too is to remember it could all end at any moment. Any moment. This could end. More important. Any second.
1: More important, I think, is remember it's going to end. Right. It's
0: going it's to end. It's not an option. Right. There's no getting out. I know the the – uh, many of the billionaires like Peter uh, Thiel and all these guys are really heavily into longevity of life and, you know, living f- infantly or putting your consciousness <laughs> into a computer or whatever. But it's going to end someday. There's yeah. no escape. Nothing lasts in the universe. Nothing lasts. Nothing.
1: That's the, right. Even if even if you figured out a way to live indefinitely, the universe is also going away. Right. So, so it's all going away. Everything Listen, is
0: going away. That that's the issue I have with the with the afterlife and, and, and people believing in a heaven or whatever. So if, if 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 I supposedly have a soul, which I'm not saying I don't, but if I supposedly have a soul, that means there's something everlasting. Well, nothing in the universe is everlasting. Nothing. Yeah. So how could I have this everlasting soul? I don't know. Uh that's the one question I have, is what is there something after I'm gone? Or is this it? And I'm OK with either one. Yeah. I'm OK. You know, again, I think part of the meditation and learning to just calm your mind and getting a little more grounded and centered is that, you know, like you said, it's going to happen anyway. So what am I going to what am I worried about? I, the only thing I hope is it's not too painful. That's it. Yeah. But I'm OK. I'm OK. If it if it were to end today, uh, you know, what am I going to do about it? <laughs>
1: nothing. There's nothing we can do, I right. think. I, I was reading a headline of an article and it was about um, it was about Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain offing it. And the headline of the article was like, two celebrity suicides, what we can do to prevent deaths. And I thought, not much, not much we can do on that. We're we're all <laughs> it's 100 percent successful. So yeah, right? we're yeah. we are going one way or the other.
0: That is a silly title for an article. It was.
1: I, it's a very, it's isn't a very it? interesting. I think it's
0: almost insulting to to people that struggle with with sure. depression. Yeah, it's almost insulting to them.
1: It is. It is. It is insulting, and it's also nonsense. It's just. Yeah. we're the the concepts. Uh, the concepts that we've created are, around death are um interesting and and unique to to individual societies, right? Like every every individual culture has their own their own origin story and their own kind of cyclic cyclic story around death. Whatever whatever that may be, they all have their own different paths and angles and twists and turns, but they they tell their stories in in different and unique ways. And I think our our story right now is um kind of this idea of avoidance or That what you're currently doing on this planet doesn't matter because there's this wonderfulness waiting for you, and I feel like both of those are uh, really the wrong approach.
0: Absolutely, Uh, you know where heaven is? It's either here right now or it's nowhere. Yeah, who care? Who cares whether there's a heaven or not? Right? Who cares where you make? Because where are you at right now? Yeah, that's the only thing that matters. Heaven doesn't matter.
1: Well, if you think being a terrible person and not caring about anything that's happening right now is is going to pr- provide you eternal happiness, I you're playing the wrong game. It for sure you're doing it wrong. It was not the message you were supposed to receive. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, and I think I think it's it's so critical to, to, to contemplate death. Like, yeah, do it do it all the time because between now and then, how are you going to live? For sure.
1: It it it. When you think about the actual event of you, your fam your life ending, your family's life ending, keep everyone you care about life ending, you act differently. And there's lots sure. of science around this, right? I mean, we, 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 I participated in this research study that was really interesting. Basically, you got two stories. One was like this happy story and the other was a story of uh, this really loving couple who one of them died. And then you filled out surveys and the, the responses to the surveys are so strikingly different depending on whether you read a happy story or you read a story that, that reminds you that you are a mortal creature. Um, There's, it it affects our brain in really different ways and then avoiding it is just not, it's, it's not valuable. It's uncomfortable, but growth comes from being uncomfortable.
0: Sure. So what was the conclusion that, that, uh, in order to
1: it's, it's be like more all, helpful? It's like all science, right? So the conclusion was that humans are able to acknowledge that they are mortal. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. We, 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 we we were aware of that before we did the study, yeah, but that's right. okay. Sure, sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, last question for you. Do you okay. have any questions for me? Any questions that you didn't ask me on your podcast cuz that's already out.
0: All right, since you started your podcast, what what's the you've interviewed a, a number of people. What's what's one thing you've gotten from that that you didn't expect?
1: I think I've gotten more than more than anything this is just the vast scope of unique perspectives that all are uh, doing something to make the world a better place. Right. And I think we are uh, that idea, that concept is something that gets made fun of, right? It, it, Cause every startup, every tech company, they're all going to make the world a better place. But there are these, these little, these little tiny things of people who want to make the world a better place. And my reality is we need to create collective hubs for those people, because the more people we have who have that same goal working together, even if they're working towards uh, different approaches, the, the more intermingling of those ideas, the better chance we have to actually make an impact on what's happening around us.
0: That's fascinating. You know, I think that's, that's important. And Is that something you're working on?
1: We're, we're always working on everything.
0: Right. Sure. Because I think I think instead of worrying about Trump tweets and all this other yeah. nonsense we get caught up in, we all should try to be like Elon Musk. We should all be trying to get to Mars. Yeah. Every yeah. single one of us. <laughs>
1: That's Seriously. running away from the problem a little
0: bit. No, I'm talking about I know what you're saying. the imagination. <laughs> yeah, I'm I know. am talking about the thinking. I know. I'm not talking about actually doing it. <laughs> I'm talking about I know. thinking that way. Yeah,
1: you're right. You're right. It's all, it. My my big thing and my big realization on that is, it. If you just focus on um, the things that you have disagreements on, you're. Guess what? You're gonna disagree. But if we, if we allow the, the starting place to be the things that we agree, then we can work from there out to wherever we disagree. And then we have this much leeway to work on the things that, that we agree on. And we can work on those together because we want the same things. Then we might disagree p- beyond that. And then we can separate at that point. But this little core of things that everyone agrees on, let's fix those. And then we'll deal with the rest.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's and then, you know, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, what you do and what I'm trying to do is everybody wants to be happy. Uh we just we're not our brain isn't wired for it. Yeah. And uh, most of us don't know how. We seek stuff outside ourselves. Yeah. And it it's all internal, man. It's all it's all it's all in here. Yeah, right? Yeah. That there is no happiness outside of you it's all internal, so even if you disagree with someone or or you have uh, you see things differently uh, there's a, probably a good chance you're wrong yeah <laughs> right so just accept that and, and just let it go you know and just well you
1: are wrong that that's the thing everyone is wrong and everyone is right a hundred percent of the time because you're right from your perspective <laughs> i'm right from right. my perspective and that's fine. Like we can, we can have, we can have differing opinions on things because our, our perspective on the world is unique to us Right. all the time. We're never, I'm never, no matter how close I am to you, no matter how close I am mentally, emotionally, or physically, I can never see the world from your perspective. Right. And you can never see the world from mine. And that's, that's reality. And we can't yeah. change that reality that's never gonna change, even if we saw your wor- if I saw your world it's so they put in a contact lens in your eye and I looked out through that. I'm still seeing through this different layer of separation right, so it's just right. it's always gonna be different, and um that can be frustrating if you if you don't just if you don't just appreciate the fact that you're right hundred percent of the time and you're wrong,
0: yeah. No, I think it's. I think it's uh, one. One last thing I wanted to say. I think it's important too. For, and I try to remember this is that you know, with this uh, amount of information we're exposed to now, you know, most of it's negative because we're 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 attracted to negative information. Our brains are attracted to negative information from evolution, you know, natural selection. But you know what goes on most days? You know what's going on today in Phoenix? And here's what you don't hear on the news: just about everybody got along.
1: Yeah, it's
0: true. Just about everybody got along. At least tolerated each other. So yeah. that's what we—that's what we should be focusing on. Focus on what you want, not on what you don't.
1: want. Focus on tolerating everybody.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> instead of instead of the appreciate everybody, not even focus on uh, that. There's no that there's uh, not the opposite of differences, but focus on the fact that you can get along. Yeah, if things are most times you're going to get along. Okay
1: and you probably agree with more you probably m- more are more likely to agree with the majority of things that the people around you think than not, than disagree right. so if if we could take the collective thoughts we, we probably agree on most things with just about everyone and then there are things that we might really strongly disagree with but those are probably the minority of things
0: yeah I, well, I, I'll, i'm a- Go ahead. go ahead I'm sorry. No no, 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 no. You. please go ahead. So I wanted to ask you another question um what what since you've been doing this and interviewing these uh other people um what what bit of knowledge do do you t- uh, that you've learned that you've come across that has had the biggest impact on you?
1: Uh the biggest impact uh the biggest tidbit of information I can't share. But Okay. So that's that's an interesting one. It was a a promise to be off off live and uh I
0: see. <laughs> so
1: so that was that was an interesting one. It's something that I I really really um appreciate getting to have the the insight on. Beyond beyond that, I think I man, I think it's the I think it's the fact that there's just a lot of people who are really amazing people that's that's really what i think it is everybody has a cool unique story perspective everybody to chris ty melodista right everybody is the baby of someone and everybody's trying to figure their stuff out and we're all just doing the best we can i I think that that story just keeps repeating and repeating and repeating what what about you is there anything that just pops right out for you
0: from 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 doing doing the the things I've been doing. Yeah,
1: from your podcast.
0: Um, like, it's exactly what you said. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a, a hero's journey. Everybody yeah. has that. Our 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 culture is fascinated by celebrities and athletes. Yeah, right. We're obsessed with it. Yeah, it's uh just if you don't agree with that, <clears throat> next time you go in the grocery store and you're in the checkout line, just look. <laughs> right, we're fascinated by it, but everybody has a story. Everybody yeah. has a great story and everybody is a legend. Everybody's yeah. a hero. They just don't believe it. They don't believe it. It's true. You can be. And if you're not and if you're sitting around wasting your life and your time with whatever you're doing, you can be different. Go out and, and do it. yeah, and and you can make the world a better place.
1: And you that doesn't take that I mean, you can go out right now. Everyone can go out in the street right now, pick up a piece of trash come back in and put it in the the trash can or the cycling bin you've made the world a better place done period that's it right. everyone can do that right now
0: yeah you don't have to save uh, baby whales right. and and all right uh, or or eradicate nuclear weapons yeah. just go pick up a piece of trash that's
1: it and it's in <laughs> your neighborhood like it's right, right next to your house like what an opportunity to make to make the space that you exist in better right
0: or just say a nice thing to a stranger yes that's as simple as that for sure So, everybody,
1: go out, say a nice thing to a stranger, pick up a piece of trash, put it in the trash bin or the recycling, and life is good,
0: right? Or it will be.
1: (laughs) It's gonna get better.
0: It's gonna get better. Rich,
1: thank you so much for coming on. Becoming legendary, man, it's been been a pleasure.
0: I could talk to you for hours, man. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Chat soon. So that was the podcast week. I want to thank you so much for listening, and thank you so becoming yourselves. I have two favors to ask you. Number one, if you can spare 30 seconds, um, go to iTunes and give a rating for the Becoming Legendary podcast. It's super beneficial to help people find the show. And I would love for more and more people to get to experience what we're talking about. And number two, I can keep finding guests forever. Absolutely, there is no shortage. But if you have anybody that you'd really like me to talk to, let me know. I would love to have them on. I'll talk to you soon. Keep becoming legendary.